Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, good morning and welcome. Glad to be back. Good to be here as we approach, the, the for many, the start of school. Heard this week about a, Lind, a lady named Linda who taught first grade. And uh, it was the first day of school. And little Ryan was in the first grade. He had been used to going home for kindergarten at noon, uh, half-day kindergarten for uh, a year. So uh, it was approaching noon, and he was getting all of his stuff ready because he thought he was going to be headed home, when in fact, the other kids were getting ready to go to lunch. So Linda asked Ryan, what was he doing? And he said, well, I'm going home. And Linda explained that now that he was in the first grade, he would get to go to school all day. Many of you parents are appreciative of that. He said, she said, you'll go eat lunch now, and then you'll come back to the room and do some more work before you go home. And Ryan looked at her like, what? Who on earth signed me up for this program? <laughs> well, as we get back into the rhythm of the fall, it's, it's worth remembering what we signed up for as followers of Christ. Or if you're exploring what that means, to have a better picture, a better understanding of what it does mean. Jesus made a, what I would call a fairly simple invitation to his first followers that is as true today, then as it is today. Matthew 9, 9, Jesus was walking along. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. And as Matthew followed Jesus, he began the process, the journey, if you will, of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. He didn't instantly become all that a disciple means or implies both then or now, like it was just somehow a decision that I make that changes everything and I don't have to worry about it anymore. The sense here and all through the Gospels in the New Testament is not a one-time momentary decision, but a conscious, ongoing commitment to follow Jesus in this journey of life, to be a partner with him every day, not a while on Sunday, but all through our days. And so our mission here at Gateway is to lead everyday people, that's all of us, and people, in fact, who've never walked through our doors, it's just regular folks, to lead everyday people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. And the question is, what does that mean? How does that happen? Because if, we're, if that's our mission and, and we're going to be doing that, we've got to have some understanding. We've got to build some understanding around that. Some of you have, have seen what I'm about to do in our membership class, but I want all of us to know what the journey looks like and how we follow Jesus on it as a journey. And to do that, we have to back up and we have to start at the beginning of our lives. So uh, in, your, in your notes... There on the front of it is a little chart, a, a line with a cross on it. And I'm going to draw a line up here. It kind of represents a, a time. I'm not going to put a cross on it yet. I'm just going to kind of mark that spot for now. And, and you'll have that. And you may want to use that, make some notes as we, as we go through this. And, 
we, we talk about in the very first moment we exist. In fact, we, we just sang about it, that God has already claimed us. He's already made us his own. He loves us. He chooses us. And he seeks to bring us into his family from the very beginning of our existence. And as you can imagine, this has huge implications for understanding our own lives and understanding that there is inherent, intrinsic worth in every single human being. Not just those of you who are in here that that worth is as evident and real for those beyond the walls of this church, for people who will never walk through the walls, perhaps, of a church, that God still loves them and, has, and ha- values them immensely. It means that none of us are junk. None of us are, are useless. God creates every one of us with a purpose. You and I matter. No matter what the world says, no matter what the devil says, no matter what your friends say, you matter. Unfortunately, though, we are born with a terminal condition. We are born with a thing called sin. That even though God has claimed us from the beginning, it's just sort of like you go back to Genesis chapter 1. We were created. God loves us. And yet, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 3, sin has entered the picture that breaks our relationship with God. And when we, when we cut ourselves off from God, who is the creator, we are cutting ourselves off from the one who has created all there is. We're cutting ourselves off from life itself. And there are consequences for that. Romans 6 says, when people sin, they earn what sin pays, death. Now, that's not initially perhaps physical death, it is the beginning of spiritual death that can and will lead, if not remedied, to eternal death. Sin is so disastrous that it keeps us from turning to God. The, 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 the idea that we're created in God's image and he loves us has been so badly distorted by sin that, that we find ourselves in a situation where we can't do it on our own, no matter how hard we try, so that there's only one answer. And thankfully, God offers it. It is his grace through Jesus Christ. And we just sung about his grace Grace is God's undeserved gift of favor and love. It's not something we've earned, that we've somehow been good enough that he he will now bestow that on us. Apart from God's grace, the Bible points to the reality that we can't even turn to God, but, but God's grace seeks us out. God's grace woos us. One of the songs we sang this morning talks about, God, you pursue me. You're seeking me. And that is so important for us to realize that God has never given up on any of us, on anybody that's not even in this room today. He never gives up. He never stops pursuing. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories in a row. When Jesus does something three times in a row, it must be important. He tells the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And in every case, it's, it's a a demonstration of how much God loves us, that he seeks us when we can't even turn to him, when, when we're far from him, when we're the prodigal son, when we're lost sheep, he seeks us out. He never stops. He continues to go for us. Jesus said, the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. 
If you want to know Jesus' purpose, there's a great picture of it right there. And the picture then of those who follow him, it's not about us. It's always about those who aren't with us yet. Because Jesus came not for the sheep that were already home, but for the sheep that were lost. And it is our calling to do that as well. And so the very first movement then of something called this, this grace, and this whole thing if you will, is a movement of God's grace. It's a journey. It's not just simply a point in time. It's the journey of grace. It's the journey, we'll say, of salvation. The, the, what happens in the beginning is that God gives us something called, we call it his prevenient grace. Now, that's a, that's a, it's a shame that that word was first translated three or 400 years ago when prevenient, which comes from a Latin word, prevenari, had a different meaning. It, it meant back then to go before. Now, when we hear prevenient today, the first thing we think is prevent. This must be grace to prevent. No, that's not right. This is the grace that goes before, that anticipates, meaning God's grace that goes before us, that leads us, that enables us to even be able to turn to God and seek him. It is the grace that gives us that ability. It awakens within us the sense that something is not right. Life isn't the way it's supposed to be. All you have to do is look around us. All you have to do is look at your phone right now or turn on the television or read the newspaper and you'll see clearly that the world can't be the way God intended it to be. And there is this longing in all of us for something more. And this grace of God helps us intuitively recognize that things just aren't right. We look around the world and we recognize that in all peoples, there is though a basic sense of right and wrong because God's provenient grace has put that in us. People who've never even heard of God, still there's a certain morality, a certain things are always right or always wrong. The Bible says in, Gen in Romans chapter two, even Gentiles, that is everybody besides the Jews, and it includes all of us, uh, just about, even Gentiles who do not have God's written law, show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they're doing right. Now, it's certainly possible for any of us to ignore our conscience, and people do. And, and if we do that enough, we can stop hearing what our conscience wants to say to us. But if we listen, we start looking for answers. And that's why there is a, there's a spiritual hunger in all people. You know, a lot of folks will say to, say to us, well, I, I'm spiritual. I'm, I don't buy into this religion stuff, and I don't know about this God you're talking about or Jesus, but I'm a very spiritual person. When they're saying that, what they're saying is that they're seeking something. They feel this longing with inside of them. They don't have the language to, to, to explain it, but they're looking for something. Blaise Pascal, a couple of centuries ago, wrote, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man, which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the creator made known through Jesus. And Augustine, even centuries earlier, wrote to God, you have made us for yourself, O God, and our heart is restless. It's searching until it finds its rest in you. 
As God's grace then continues working in us, we, we look for a way to fill this longing of our hearts and we realize some, some sooner than others that we've been trying to find the answers in all the wrong places. And eventually we start to think about God. And this, this thinking, this changing, this beginning to do something different is called repentance. Repentance. Now, repentance is, in the Bible, when you see that word, the Greek word is metanoia, which literally means to turn around, to go in the opposite direction. It means more than that when we put it in the Christian context. But Jesus, Jesus used it like this in Mark chapter 1. He went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins. In other words, turn away from, from sins and believe the good news. And yet as important as this is, as turning around is, it's not enough because turning does nothing to fix my situation. It only reorients my, my direction. It does nothing to restore my relationship with God. If I have sinned, if I have hurt the relationship, no matter how good intentioned I am then, I can't fix it. Only God can fix that. Only God can do that, and yet thankfully God is willing to do that. He has already done all that is necessary to forgive us of our sins because Jesus died our death. He took our punishment. He died in our place on the cross. That's why the cross is such a big deal in Christianity. It points directly to what God has done for us in our lostness, in, in, in our inability to fix things. Jesus took our place. He became our substitute. And in the process, through God's grace, set us right with God. And all this begins as we commit our lives to Jesus Christ for him to be our, our savior, to save us, to redeem us. Redeem is, is a word maybe doesn't get used as much. Some of us remember the, the, the stamps you used to get at the grocery store. Uh, they would, you would take them later and redeem them. You could get something more. Redeem is to, is to turn it in for something better. And as we, we commit our lives to Christ, we are redeemed. We're turned into something more. The Bible says in Romans 3, 24, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. In, in the New Living Translation, going a little further, it says, yet God, with undeserved kindness, in other words, something we didn't deserve, declares, that is, it's, it's something he states. It's not something we've earned. It declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. When they believe, when you and I believe. We call this grace that Jesus played out for us on the cross, that forgives us through Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. We call it justifying grace. Justifying grace grace. I'm just going to kind of draw this back to kind of point to what that means. Because it's a, it's, a, it's a grace that looks back. Um, I'm out here on Clear Lake City Boulevard. I'm doing a little over 50, and I get pulled over, and I get a ticket. Because uh, it's, by the way, the speed limit's 40. <laughs> so 
I get pulled over and, and I end up going before the judge. And I am guilty. There, there's no question about it. I know I'm guilty. The judge knows I'm guilty. The police officer knows I'm guilty. And yet the judge chooses to be kind and grants me a pardon. Now that pardon doesn't mean I've done anything to deserve that. That pardon was given up based on the merits of the judge, not on the merits of what I did wrong. What the judge is doing is he's declaring that my offense is wiped off the books. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. It means it's no longer held against me. If someone opens my files and they look through it and they see Randy and they say, oh, no record of having been turned in for speeding and, and, and having punishment for that. I'm given a second chance, an opportunity to start over. But here's the thing. It is a legal rending because it doesn't change what I actually did. It only changes my status in front of the court. It's, it's a real thing, but it is no longer held against me. Likewise, through Jesus' sacrifice for us, God accepts the choice of Jesus to stand in for you and me, to take our place on the cross so we could be declared not guilty. Our sins are wiped off the books, but it doesn't change that I did sin and that that sin is still a part of me. My record is spotless, but my being in, in its deepest core is not. I, I always think of this, I, sometimes I envision it like uh, the movie Bruce Almighty. And, and there's a scene in there where he goes in and he opens his filing cabinet, you know, and the filing cabinet goes on and on and on. It's huge. And, and, and I kind of picture that's the way God is with us. He, he has a file on every one of us and he pulls it out. And when he opens it, if we have committed our life to Christ, if we have trusted what Jesus did for me on the cross, if I believe he did that, if I have received his justifying grace into my life, then I am reckoned as righteous. I am declared not guilty. I am shown to be forgiven. There's nothing on, on my record for it. But the Bible says it this way. God saved you by his grace when you believed. In other words, when I accept that that is true. And you can't take credit for this, the Bible says. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. In other words, salvation is not saying you have been so good to confess that, that we're going to you've earned this. No, I can't earn it. There is no way to earn it. God has bestowed it. Jesus died for me before I was born. That was done prior to anything I could do. It is there offered to me, and until I receive it, it's not mine. And, and this offer of justifying grace makes me only legally cleansed. It doesn't change my heart. It, it doesn't do that. So the only way to break the cycle of not just making me legally cleansed, but, but changing my heart is that there has to be more to this thing called grace. And that is the second part of salvation, that it, it's not just only the justifying grace, but also the sanctifying grace. 
the sanctifying grace that is, is so important because this is the grace that through the Holy Spirit comes to live in us when we accept Christ into our lives that actually changes me, that actually changes you, that makes us not just legally cleared, but actually begins to change our hearts so that increasingly I am less inclined to sin and moving more and more towards becoming holy. Now when I say that word, some of you all of a sudden, holy, well that sounds kind of scary. Sometimes holy gets misused. But here's the thing, holy The word itself simply means to be different, to be unlike others. And therefore, God is the ultimate example of holy, for he is spirit. He is infinite. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is all these things that we are not. But a part of that is he is love and he is good, and that is his very nature. And that is so unlike the world that you and I live in, and yet he calls us to holiness. He calls us to become more and more like him. And so the word sanctify and the word holy. And the the Bible's name for a Christian, which is the word Christian is used once or twice, but the main word that is used in the New Testament is saint. Now, that's saint with a little s. If you come from the Roman Catholic tradition, you're in your mind, you know about the capital S saints that did some great thing sometime or other, and you think, there's no way I can be a saint. But the truth of the matter is, going back further than the Roman Catholic tradition is, in fact, God's word that says that every follower of Jesus Christ is, in fact, a saint. That was the first word that was used for followers of Jesus. We were called saints. And and through God's sanctifying grace, God is working to transform us, to make us holy, to make us different from the world around us and from the way we were to make us new creations. The Bible says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone A new life has begun. It's not just my status gets changed, but through the grace of God, through his sanctifying grace, he begins to change my heart. When I accept God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ and commit to follow him and trust him, I become what's called born again. That's what sometimes, that's the word Jesus used in John chapter three. Born again. That's a combination of those two things at that point. And we'll just go ahead and put the cross in now that's on your notes because now we're acknowledging that the turning point of this, of God's justifying grace, of God's sanctifying grace, of being born again, of the beginning journey of salvation is what God did for us on the cross. In that moment, we are forgiven for for all of our sins that we have done. We're, We're legally cleansed. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us to begin to supernaturally change us from the inside out so that we genuinely, over time, as we cooperate with the Spirit, we become different. We become holy. We become more and more like Jesus. We become fully devoted followers of Christ. But the problem is, this isn't magic. You and I can block this from happening. Newlyweds arrived at their their expensive hotel where they had reserved the honeymoon suite, and it was a beautiful room, and there was fruit, and there was uh, flowers and lovely furniture, but but all they saw was a couch with a fold-out 
bed. And, and they didn't think it was the greatest thing for a honeymoon suite, but they were there and they weren't going to argue. The next morning, the manager sought him out and said, how was the room? And he said, well, it, it, it was wonderful, but, but there was no bed. And the manager said, no, you've you got to be mistaken because all of our rooms have beds. So he took the couple back up to the room and he walked in and he, he pointed to a door over across the room. And he said, didn't you go inside that door? And they said, no, we, we thought it was a closet. And he opened the door and there was this magnificent bedroom. And too often, people never experience the fullness of God's salvation because they never allow God's grace to take them any further. They stop right at the door. They walk in and they say, this must be all there is. The goal of the Christian life, guys, is not simply to get across this line, okay? It's not to go from here to here, and that's good enough. Like, that's what God desires. That is not God's point. The goal of Christian life is to be transformed, to become fully devoted followers of Christ, to become more and more like Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. But the issue is all we can do is receive this gift of grace. Remember, grace is something God does, not something I do. But the flip side of it is because it is a gift, if we don't receive it, nothing happens. If I take my Bible here and I reach out to Mike over here and I say, here, and Mike just stares at me and looks like, oh, oh, you want to give me something? He doesn't talk that way. You know, it's not his Bible. It's still mine. I, I, my intention is to give it to him. I, I desire for him to have it. Not really. <laughs> no, I, I'm just kidding. But as long as it's in my hands, he, has, he not only doesn't have it, he has none of the value of what he can bring to him. And so the, the issue is that we get stuck here. Salvation doesn't simply happen by obeying the rules, but by developing a relationship with God, by accepting his grace through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit to come into us, to work into us. And so that there are really two parts to being born again or, or being saved. Um, let me, let's see. Nope, that's the wrong one. I found one of these didn't have enough on There we go. So what we understand is, as we begin to talk about this, of justifying grace, of sanctifying grace, is that justification means that Jesus is now our Savior and we love that word, and we talk about it. Jesus saves. He has saved me from my sins. But at the same time, Jesus is not simply here to save us, but also to transform us, which means he is not only Savior, but he's also Lord. What is a Lord? It's not part of our culture in 21st century America, but it's a master. It's someone who tells you and me how to live our lives. Now, an imperfect Lord, a human Lord, might make mistakes, but a perfect Lord, Jesus Christ, tells us how to perfectly live our lives in ways that bring value and purpose, that transform us, that enable us to live through things. It doesn't mean life is easy. It means a life is better. And so justification is a relative change. It is my status that changes. 
Sanctification is a real change. I'm becoming somebody different. Justification is freedom from the guilt of sin and fear. Sanctification is freedom from the power of sin. I don't have to always sin. If, if you've ever said, I can't help it, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I am, I, I can't stop it. You know what you just said? You have just said that Jesus cannot be your Lord. You have just said that the omnipotent God who created you isn't really omnipotent. It's a statement about God, not simply about you. That's why there's good news here, is no matter what you are facing, no matter what you're in the midst of, there is a God who is Lord of all. For which there is nothing that cannot deter him. Does it mean you're going to have hiccups along the way? Absolutely. Does it mean it maybe the, the life might go different from what you expected? Sure. But God has a plan, and God's plan often is better than ours. Do you have a plan for your kids? Do your kids have a plan? Which one is more likely? Probably yours, because you've had a chance to see more of life. You understand what's possible and what's not. You see things in your child that your child may not even see in themselves. God sees things in you and me that we don't see. And God gives us a power through his spirit that we can't even comprehend. Justification, then, is something God does for us through Christ. Sanctification is something God does in us through his spirit. Justification removes the power of past sin. Sanctification empowers us not to sin in the future. Justification restores us to the favor of God. We are no longer outcasts. Sanctification restores us to the image of God of Genesis chapter one, where it says you and I were created in the image of God. And it was great until Genesis chapter three when sin messed it all up. God has a plan for fixing that if we join in. And the goal of God's sanctifying grace is what the Bible sometimes calls perfection. Now, this is another case where some translations are based on what was done a long time ago. And the word perfection in 21st century America means something without flaw. But when it was first used, perfection was being used for a Greek word called teleos. And, and teleos means maturity or to fulfill its created purpose. And the word perfect has changed meanings through the, through the centuries in English, but the Greek is still the same there. And, and what is teleos? Well, a chair is teleos. These chairs are teleos that you're sitting in. Why? They are fulfilling the purpose for which they were made. A, te- a chair is doing what it's supposed to when you sit in it. A chair is not teleos if it's being used for something else. If, if I take a lawnmower and I want to trim my hedge, I, you know, it can be done. You crank it up, and you, you grab that sucker, and, you, and it takes some real effort and, and, and all, but you hold it up there, and you try to maneuver it along the, the, the hedge, and it will work. It may not be pretty, and you may cut something off that you don't want to cut off. But when I use the lawnmower to mow the grass, it's teleos. It's being used for exactly what it was created for. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 13, 11, aim for perfection in the NIV. In the New Living Translation, it says, grow to maturity. 
different words that mean the same thing. And what is this maturity? Quite simply, it's becoming more and more like Jesus. Typically, then that picture of what does it mean to become more and more like Jesus is summed up in one word. And you know this word, love. Love. That's the, the, the ultimate idea of that. But we need to be careful because when we, in English-speaking languages, say love, we need to realize that from the Greek there were four words that, that were used that are all translated into English as love. There is storge, which means love of friends. There's philia, which is brotherly love, like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. There's eros, which is romantic or physical love. And that's the one that is most common in our thoughts today. And then there is agape love. And agape love is choosing to accept someone for who they are and sacrificially working for their good. It's the love that comes to us by the grace of God and is only possible in us because of God's love for us. 1 John 4.19, which, by the way, is Life Journal reading for today, says, we love because God first loved us. This is not something that comes natural to us because of sin, but as God is transforming us, love becomes more and more a part of who we are and how we live our lives. Probably the best picture of that love in the New Testament is 1 Corinthians 13. Often read at weddings, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And yet, as soon as I say love is patient, most of us struggle. How many of us can honestly say we're always patient? or we're always kind, or we never boast, or, or we never insist on our own way, or we're never resentful, or we're never irritable. That love is not possible. The kind of love the Bible talks about is not possible in our own strength. It takes the Holy Spirit working in us, transforming us, for that to become real. I, 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 you know, and, and so it's very important we, we understand that. One way to think of it is, in, if you take that passage in 1 Corinthians and everywhere it says love, you put your name in there. Randy is patient. Tom is kind. Mary is not boasting. Whatever it may be. And all of a sudden it starts to hit home. Can I honestly say that? Can I say I'm always kind? No. Can I say I'm always patient? No. But by the grace of God, as he works in me, I hope I'm becoming more kind and more patient over time than I used to be. And as this love becomes more and more a part of us, as we become more mature, think of it like becoming an adult, sanctified, more and more like Jesus, fully devoted to followers of Christ, then this love of his drives us to care for others so that we increasingly desire to serve others. We increasingly desire to share God's love with others. We increasingly tell others what we've discovered so that it becomes a, 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 a circular thing where this prevenient grace actually begins to get worked out in other people's lives through you and me. When you and I serve, when you and I share, as people who are seeking to be more and more like Christ, then people experience God's grace. You are agents of God's grace. God is using you and working through us. It has always been his plan to work through us. Now there's two danger spots. Two danger spots on this. Quickly. Oh, there's that dadgum one. Here it is. 
First one is here, where I repent, but in my repentance, I say, I'm gonna try harder. How many of us have said that? I have. I did that. I'm gonna try harder. I, I like God. I really appreciate him, so I'm gonna try my hardest to be good. You know what happens? No matter how hard I try, I can never be good enough, and I get frustrated, and I start to say, this isn't for me. There, this is a bunch of hooey, you know? And so there's a danger here because repentance is not simply turning around but turning to Christ to say, Christ, I need you to come into my life to not only forgive me but to transform me. If I think I can do this on my own, I'm kidding myself. And yet every church in America has a significant percentage of people right here who have tried very hard to be good Christians on their own. I was there. Maybe some of you are there now and you just don't realize it or you haven't thought about it. The other place that we need to be concerned about is right here where we, we've committed our life to Christ but we think, okay, I'm saved so I can go on and do whatever I want. I bought my fire insurance. I'm good to go and I can do whatever I want with my life because God loves me and he has to forgive me. Does that make sense? Do you like it when your kids take advantage of your grace? Does that make you feel good? You know that they're manipulating. And God knows that that's really what we're doing here. And problem is, because I'm not allowing his spirit to work in my life, to transform me, when I come into situations where I need peace or I need to find love, it's not there because I haven't grown. I am still a babe in Christ. I may have made this decision 30 years ago, but if I have stayed there, I'm not a different person. I'm forgiven, but I have no power of God's in my life to overcome what's going on. And guys, there are a lot of people in our churches who are right here too. Because the point is not that I am to stay there. It's why we talk about this as a journey, not simply as a point or a place. Salvation drives us to love God and to love our neighbors to do something with our lives, to reach out and, and serve and to reach out and share. And if we're not doing those things, do we have faith at all? Is there any evidence of it? Faith is, is trusting that what God says is true. Our transformation and our journey is not for our sake alone. I, I, it's not so I can just be okay. The point has always been God wants to use you and me to transform the world. He has always planned us to be involved. And if you sit back and you say, I'm going to let somebody else do it, you do not understand what God is about for you. He has never wanted any of us to sit back. He has always challenged us to move forward. God's salvation is stunted if you and I think it's all about me or if there's no evidence of God's grace changing me by my outward actions of serving and sharing. That's why the Bible says in James, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, good works, it is dead, it's useless. It's sticking right over in here. And you will be more frustrated by quote unquote faith than you know. Because you will want the power of faith without having allowed God to work in you to bring that power. Our good deeds do not save us. 
But if we are saved, there will be good deeds or else we're not really saved. It's that simple. Jesus said you will know a tree by its fruit. If there's no fruit, it's not producing. Salvation means we're not only forgiven, but we're being changed into the image and likeness of Jesus who reached out and he himself helped the least, the last, and the lost and calls us to do that. So that's why, again, it's a journey. It's a lifetime journey from whenever you've started. Because as long as I have breath, I have a purpose here on earth. I have a purpose to become a fully devoted follower of Christ, to become more and more like Jesus, so that God can use me to love others by serving and sharing to help them experience his love, his grace, to turn their lives over to him as well. And unfortunately, this movement, this growth, is not simply a straight line, okay? Reality, like most things in life, it's kind of like this. There are good times, they're bad. There are hard times, there are struggles, and there are times when things go well. But what happens is that over time, what you hope to see is a progression, a movement, where you can, engineers, you can draw the line, right? You can, do, you can, make, it, you can make it work. You can show that there is a tendency there. That's the true journey. But notice, in our journey, like there are ups and downs. So if you have an, you're having ups and downs in your Christian journey, you're normal. You're human. You're not God, so that's great. You're being like yourself. The question is, are you moving this way or are you moving this way? Because life, like anything else, is either growing or it's dying. There's no stagnation. What happens when, when water has been sitting in your backyard for a couple of weeks? Do you want to drink that? No, that's stagnation. There's nothing good about that. Only bad comes out of that. And the same thing is true in our lives. If your life is content to just sit you're stagnating, and stagnating gets nasty. And that's not what God desires for you. And this, this movement only occurs as we allow God to work in our lives through practices or disciplines that, that open our awareness to him to, to help us become tools that God uses to transform us and transform others. So read my Bible is a discipline. Pray is a discipline. Worship is a discipline. Serve, missions, disciplines. Giving is a discipline. And, and they will always be ways that we play out our faith. We live out our faith. We demonstrate love for others and we begin to make that love occur and come out of us more and more as we connect, especially to others, because we can't do this by ourselves. There's no such thing as solitary Christianity. So when we encourage you to commit, not only to Christ, but commit to read your Bible, to commit to spend time with God every day, to commit to pray, to commit to be in a small group with others, to commit to give, to commit to serve, to commit to join a life group or a journey group or a celebrate recovery group. We encourage you to, to serve or, or give and share God's news with others. What are we doing? We as the church are fulfilling our God-given function to equip the saints, to help God's people move forward in life. The church cannot do it for you. I cannot walk your journey with Christ. I can't read the Bible for you. I can't pray for you. If I pray, it's about my relationship. The only thing that affects your relationship is what you do. No one can do it for you. You can't hand that off to the church. 
parents, you can't hand off the, 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 the growth of faith in your children to the church. The church is here to come alongside you, to encourage you, to help you, to provide content. But ultimately, your children will do what you, what you do and not what you say. You and I can't give what we don't have. We have to be growing. We have to be working on this. To become a fully devoted follower of Christ means we intentionally choose to make ourselves available to God, to trust him throughout our day, every day. Because it's a journey. It's not a point. It's not one time, I'm good, I'm done, I'm out of here. It's here's how I go from here on out. So the question is, where are you? Two questions this morning. The first one is, on that chart, where are you? Are you over here? Are you over here? It's only between you and God, so you don't have to lie. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to show me. But I encourage you, ask yourself, where am I? Am I where I want to be? Am I, am I moving or am I stagnant? What direction am I facing? Being a fully devoted follower of Christ, we understand that to mean we commit to follow Christ. We make that commitment at one point in time, but then we commit to him each day, every day, to continue that journey. We connect with one another. It's not just about me. It's a journey with others. We serve my church, my community, my world. It is always about stepping out beyond myself because if it's all about me, then it's, it's caught up in sin. Every time it's all about me, it's all about sin. We have to step beyond ourselves. And finally, we have to share. Share the good news of Jesus Christ, especially to those that are around us that don't understand, don't have that. A couple weeks ago, we offered our ministry fair to show you places and ways that you could serve because we believe every Christian must serve. Every Christian. Every Christian must. Because faith without works is dead. And we're offering journey groups along with life groups as great places for you to connect with others. And if this journey is new to you or you're trying to figure it out, we offer groups in our journey groups that explore Christianity. We offer a group this time, we're going to be doing a Bible, a study through the, the book of First Peter uh, right after Labor Day. We're going to actually talk about it next week. Uh, that we'll be doing it in here and life groups and journey groups can do it. And we have one journey group in particular that's going to walk you through how to study. If, if you don't know how to study the Bible, if that's something new to you, that will be a great class for you to, to pick up and, and join in. So we're offering you tools. So the second question this morning is not only where am I, but what's my next step? Now notice, I didn't say, where do I want to be 10 steps down? How far out? No, just think of one. What is the next step you need to take? That's the point that we need to all be clear about. Every single one of us can have a next step. And it is critical. It's critical. If you want to become a fully devoted follower of Christ, if you want love to characterize your life, if you want to hear Jesus one day when you stand before him face to face and say, well done, good and faithful servant. If you want to be used by him to change the world instead of being something of a lump in the middle of the world, then you have to ask yourself, what's my next step? And as the church, we're here to help you on that journey. I'm not saying that every next step is always in the church per se. But I am saying we want to point you. We want to encourage you. Because our goal here is to lead everyday people to become 
fully devoted followers of Christ, we're doing that because we genuinely believe this is a better place to live our lives. And in fact, this is the picture, this is a foretaste of the picture of heaven. Not over here, over here. As Rick Warren likes to say, this life is the kindergarten. So we come back to school. (laughs) But instead of packing up our stuff at noontime, we are committed to the hall, to the long haul, to let God work. And the beauty of it is, he wants to do that in you and me. He loves us. Nobody can take that away from you. And he will work in us when we join in. Our prayer team is gonna be down here in just a minute. If, if you haven't made that decision, you need to do that today. And they'll help you walk you through that. Or if you have other things you wanna pray about. But beyond that, then you can go and you can sign. You can sign up for a journey group. You can sign up to serve. You can do other things to be committed to this journey that God has every one of us on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us so much that you won't leave us where we are, that you pursue us, you, you are after us, you love us, and you want the best for us. And just as we know there are times in our lives where we've had to pursue someone else and help them see something better, that is your goal for each one of us. Help us to say yes to you, Father. Help us to, to take your hand. Help us to join in what you're doing. Help us to experience your grace to know we're forgiven, to know through the power of your spirit we're being, we can be transformed. Enable us to join into that journey, Father, that we might serve you and serve this world, that we might be, our lives might make such a difference that we can look back and honestly see how your hand has transformed us. We pray this, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.